Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John declared, quote, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. As someone who claims to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, do you have a growing lifestyle of wanting to please Jesus by obedience to him in the scriptures? Do you confess your sin and repent when you fail to obey him? Let's open our Bible now and begin to examine ourselves and test ourselves so that we can determine if we are truly saved and genuine Christians. Well, good morning and Welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas, and it's just a good morning to be to be talking about Jesus. It's a good morning to to examine ourselves. Um, we have talked about how uh, the scariest verses in the Bible are when Jesus is speaking in Matthew seven verses twenty one to twenty three, where he says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, Jesus speaking, then I will tell them plainly. We're all going to stand before Jesus. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. What makes this so sad is these people thought they were Christians. They believed that they were saved, but they had a false assurance and, and because of that, they're in hell for all eternity, separated from God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And so, obviously, we don't want anyone to be in that position. Uh, with all my heart, I'm hoping these teachings are coming across with, with love and concern and a desire for everyone to be able to truly examine themselves as we've as we've talked about the scripture and we're going to read it again today in second corinthians 13 5 to examine yourself to see if you're truly a christian if you're truly in the christian faith to test yourself and to see if if jesus really is living in you and we're we're going through a process of learning how to test ourselves first our beliefs as we talked about in the first two teachings and then to, to test whether our beliefs are genuine by the lifestyle that we live day in and day out. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you that we, we have our Bible. Father, we thank you for just your love and your favor and your goodness to us. But, Father, above all that, we thank you most of all for Jesus, our only Lord Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. We thank you, Lord, for dying a torturous death on our behalf and in our place that we should have died. And we thank you that you're alive and risen today. And we worship you, our risen Savior. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. As we open your word, give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand, hearts that truly know, can know that we are truly saved. And if not, Holy Spirit, that we, we would be saved, that we would receive Jesus Christ, genuinely receiving in him, trusting in him 
for the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul, deliverance from the wrath of God and eternal hell, and to bring us to heaven when we die. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, so we're going to continue now to to show you how to test yourself. So in the first two teachings, we discussed our beliefs. Acts 16, 31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What does that mean to believe in the Lord Jesus? It means to believe everything that the Bible teaches about Jesus and why we need Jesus. It doesn't simply mean to intellectually acknowledge or give intellectual assent to the existence of Jesus Christ, okay? No more than if I said to you, whoever you are listening to me today, if I said, you know, I believe in you, what am I actually saying when I say, I believe in you? I'm not confirming your existence. Of course you exist. You're standing right in front of me. I'm confirming that, that I trust you, that I have full confidence in you. And that's what it means to believe in Jesus. It means to have your full confidence, trust, and reliance fully in who Jesus is, God the Son, the Son of God, and what he's done on your behalf and in your place, living a perfect righteous life for you, dying a torturous death from you, being raised from the dead, and you knowing your hopeless, helpless, desperate state are clinging to him, trusting in him, you know, relying only on him alone. Again, for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, deliverance from the wrath of God and eternal hell and to bring you to heaven when, when, uh, when you die. That's what it really means to believe in Jesus. And so it means to believe again, all that the scriptures say about who Jesus is and what he's done and that you are, are literally clinging to him. You have your full confidence and hope and trust in him alone, not in yourself, not in your good life, not in anyone else, not in your mom, not in your dad, not in Buddha, not in Muhammad, not in Moses, not in, not in Simon Peter, not in any Christian, but only in Jesus alone. That's what it means to be truly saved. So thank you, Lord Jesus. So Again, we're going to examine now today our lifestyle, because for those who who pass the test of beliefs, you believe that you believe in God. You believe that that you're accountable to God. You believe that that you have fallen short, that you have failed. Therefore, you believe you are, in fact, a sinner. You are a sinful person. OK, um, because you're a sinful person, you believe that you need a savior. Okay, you believe that that Jesus Christ, the promised savior of the Bible and the one that comes on the scene in the New Testament is that savior. You believe that Jesus is God and that that your God, God, the son, Jesus actually became a human man for you. You believe that he lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life on your behalf. You believe that he died a torturous death on your behalf, that you should have died. And you believe that he's alive and risen. You believe that you are hopeless, helpless, and desperate without him, and you have genuinely received him, as John 1.12 says, yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You've received him. You're currently actively trusting in Jesus alone, relying on him alone for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, deliverance from the wrath of God and eternal hell, and to bring you to heaven when you die. 
then you're a Christian. Now, if you would affirm all those things, now we're going we're gonna to examine again, do you have a lifestyle that reflects those claims? So you're claiming the proper beliefs. You are claiming to believe rightly all that the scriptures say. You have received Christ as your savior. And, and now we're going to examine whether that's real or not. And we get that from 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. This is a command, okay? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He's writing to a church in Corinth and, and you know, by extension to us, to all Christians, okay? You don't want to be, I don't want to be, none of us want to be one of those people that when we stand before Jesus, we thought we were saved. We thought we were going to heaven and, and yet it wasn't real. And we don't ever want to hear Jesus say, away from me, I never knew you. It's not that you were saved and you lost your salvation. You were never saved. You never received eternal life. You never received spiritual life. You were never a real Christian. Okay. And then in the, in the, in the final teaching, which I think the next one will be the last one of the series, you know, we'll walk through exactly, and we've done this in every teaching, but we'll walk through specifically, you know, where to go if you, you know, if you say, you know, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I know that I want to be. We'll go through specifically every belief. And again, I've already done that today, the things you need to believe, but we'll make that a, you know, kind of a, a bow tie teaching, a wrap it up teaching, right? So again, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Okay, so Paul tells us, the Bible tells us, it commands us to test ourselves to see if Jesus is living in you. So what, what are we testing? We want to know, okay, I claim to believe in Jesus, but what kind of lifestyle ought I have? Based on this examination, how ought I be living my life? None of us are going to be perfect, right? We're all still sinful. That's why we need a savior, okay? But when you test yourself, and we're going to go through some of these things now, Okay. And again, the goal of this is 1 John 5, 13. The goal of this examination is that you find out that, yes, I'm absolutely certain I'm a Christian based on the fact that I believe in everything that the Bible says about who Jesus is, my need of him, and I'm firmly holding to him alone for my salvation. And, and yes, I can see a lifestyle that reflects that. Now, it's important we understand we're not saved by anything we do. But someone who is genuinely saved, that has Christ Jesus in us, there ought to be a, a, an outward manifestation of that Christianity. And again, I want to pause here. I don't want to, you know, they're, 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 the more we mature in our walk with Jesus, the more devoted we are to Jesus, the more assurance that we will certainly have that we are absolutely real Christians. One of the great evidences that you are a true and genuine Christian, that, that your profession of Christ is real and authentic, is that you do see a pattern of growth in your life. You do see a pattern where you're trying to be more like Jesus. You see a desire in your heart to be more pleasing to your heavenly Father and to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And again, there is a difference, okay? There is no doubt that many people very well may be saved and they're just immature Christians. They, they never got out of the baby Christian stage, okay? 
but a baby Christian can have no real assurance that they're genuinely saved, meaning there ought to be manifestations in your life that you are growing to be more like Jesus. There ought to be, right? So again, the goal of this of this examination is 1 John 5, 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, okay? So we're gonna go through this test so that when you look at these things, if you say, yes, I am, I'm doing almost all of those things. I am living my life in that way. Uh, and I do wanna do it more and more, then, then you can have genuine assurance that your claims, again, you believe everything clearly that the Bible is teaching as far as what are primary doctrines. Primary doctrines, again, are the doctrines we must believe and hold to to be saved. Then there are secondary doctrines, um, which again are important doctrines we should know and understand uh, to grow in Christ. And then there are tertiary doctrines, as again, as I heard this one scholar say, um, and no, these are third in line, and these are just more our preferences, right? We still want the heart of Jesus on the matter, um, but they're not primary, they're not essential to salvation. They're not even secondary to whether it's important we understand them to grow in Christ. They're more preferences, right? All right. So we'll begin with, with 1 John 4.15, okay? 1 John 4.15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So do you have a lifestyle of acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God? Examine yourself now and say, you know, how much do I think about Jesus? How much do I talk about Jesus? How much do I confess Jesus just with my mouth, you know, how much is Jesus on my mind and heart? Now, again, you know, there's no condemnation here. So if you would say, golly, man, I don't, I don't think that I have Jesus on my lips enough. That's good. That conviction is good. If, if you're not talking about Jesus all day long, it doesn't mean you're not saved, but that should be the goal of our lives as disciples, right? Y'all, I mean, to, to grow, to think about Jesus, to speak about Jesus, to tell others about Jesus, to stop using the word God and start talking more and more and more about Jesus, who of course is our God, right? Thank you, along with our heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. Again, one God, one being, three separate distinct individual persons through which in Jesus, through Jesus, we have relationship with each member of the Trinity, right? We have relationship. God the Father is our heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and Master and King and Friend. Uh, God the Holy Spirit is our guide, our comforter, our counselor. Bam. All right. So 1 John 4, 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So in your examination, how much is Jesus on your mind throughout each day and throughout the week? There's, he should be on your mind at some level. If Jesus doesn't come into your mind at all, if you can go a whole week and you never think about Jesus, certainly you never talk about Jesus, you're never concerned with Jesus, um, you never are, are looking to better know Jesus, then that that is something that that is an evidence that you may not be saved, okay? So that's number one, okay? Next one we'll go to is Matthew 4, verse 4. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, if you're claiming to be a Christian, you claim that your beliefs 
are all in line with the core primary beliefs that we discussed in the first two teachings. And again, in all these teachings, do you have a desire for the Bible? Do you have any desire for the scripture at all? Do you open your Bible at all? Are you reading the Bible? Or do you listen to other people teach the Bible? Are you interested in the scriptures? Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, physical food alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is the living word of God. If you're a genuine Christian, if you're truly saved, you ought to have some desire in you for the scriptures. Now, again, the more you grow and mature in Christ, the more important the Bible will be to you. But do you see a desire in your heart for the scriptures to feed your spirit and soul in the scriptures? If you would say, absolutely, I love my Bible, that's a that's a legitimate sign that you really are saved, right? That that your claim of receiving Jesus and trusting in him is genuine. Now, if you would say, meh, I got no interest in the Bible. I really don't spend any time in the Bible. I mean, I'm sure it's important, but no, I have no desire for it. Again, that's a, that's a sign that you very well may not be saved. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, verse 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So again, if you're a genuine Christian, again, there ought to be this desire for the scripture, knowing it's the very word of God, because it is useful to teach you and me, to rebuke you and me, to correct us and to train us to live rightly for Jesus. And someone with Jesus living in them ought to again have a desire for these things. Again, remember, Colossians 1:27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When Jesus is living in us, these ought to be manifestations at some level in our walk. Again, the more we mature in Christ, the more these manifestations will come, right? The more desire we'll have for the word of God. The more we'll speak about Jesus. The more we'll think about him, right? All right. Look at... Uh, Look at 1 John 1, and we'll start in verse 9. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so again, if we confess our sins, do you have a lifestyle? I'm not just talking about to a priest. If you happen to be in a Catholic church, that's fine. Okay, to confess your sins to a priest, but you ought to have a lifestyle of personal confession of your sins. You ought to have some kind of lifestyle of confession, and then we're going to talk about repentance after that. But the first thing is, do you have conviction over your sin in your life? You claim to be a Christian. Is there a conviction of sin in your life? Look at verse eight. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Remember John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus is living in you, then the truth is in you, and, and you should certainly know that you do wrong. You should see and recognize the sinful thoughts, words, and actions in your life. Now, again, one of the, one of the great evidences of Christian maturity, that you're growing to be more like Jesus, you're growing up in Jesus Christ, you're growing to be more and more mature in Jesus, is that you, you, you have eyes to see 
the deeper levels of sinfulness in you, again, in your thought patterns, in your words, and certainly in your actions and in your lifestyle. But once again, we're testing ourselves. Do you see, uh, uh, you know, do you see a pattern in your life of confessing your sin? When you do something wrong, are you convicted of it? Do you see it? Does it bother you? You know, when you have sin in your life, if you're claiming to be a Christian, if you claim to hold to all the right beliefs about Jesus, you claim to be trusting in Jesus, but you have no no conviction of your sin at all. You can live in an absolute unrepentant, unconfessed sin. You don't worry about it. You have no concern about it. You don't even think it's wrong. That is a massive sign that you're not truly saved. Okay. Now, again, all of us as Christians still sin and we can be backslidden in our sin. But here's the point. If, if you won't even call sin, sin, if you'll deny that your lifestyle is sinful in, in whatever it is, right? It could be in your words. It could be in your heart. It could be in your lifestyle. It could be in your language. It could be in lust, um, whatever it is, right? Uh, someone who's genuinely saved is grieved about it. They may be caught up in it, but they don't want to be. They do want to get out of it. They are grieved over it. They are bothered over it. Again, they may fall in that same sin over and over and over, but they have an earnest desire to get out of it. They confess it to the Lord and they are making an effort to repent. If you are completely given over to some form of sin, you don't acknowledge it. You don't care about it. You don't care that you're, you're being displeasing to Jesus and your heavenly father and the Holy Spirit. You don't care that it's displeasing to them, that it bothers to them, that it's that it is hurtful for them to for us to live a sinful and disobedient life. Then again, this is a sign that you very well may not be genuinely saved. You may not have received Jesus. You may not have eternal life. OK. And again, when we find ourselves in that position, boom. We go back to how we get saved. We go back to Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, it's not our words that save us, but we confess our hopeless, helpless, desperate situation that we need a savior. And we cry out to Jesus, professing him to be our only hope, right? Of eternal life and calling on him, knowing our need of him for the forgiveness of our sins, trusting in him for the salvation of our soul, to rescue us, to save us from the wrath of God and eternal hell and to bring us to heaven when we die. Again, a Christian, that's how you become a Christian. If you find that you're not sure, you always go back to the foot of the cross to receive Christ, right? All right. Again, do you have a lifestyle of confession? Verse 10, uh, 1 John 1, verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. What is John saying? The Bible has claims clearly God has given his word that all human beings are sinful. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single human being, all 8 billion people in the world are sinful. That's a fact. It's a biblical fact. So if we claim that we're not sinful or someone else is not sinful, okay, the only sinless person to ever live was the God-man Jesus. Fully God, fully man. He was the only one without sin. So again, if you don't recognize any sin in your life, if you would say, no, I'm not a sinner, the Bible says you're not saved, okay? Because you cannot be saved unless you know what you need to be saved from right? We need to be saved from 
hell. We need to be saved from hell and the wrath of our heavenly father, the wrath of God the Father because of our sin, right? So again, if you don't if you don't believe that you're a sinner, if you don't believe that you have sin, then you don't even know what you need to be saved from and you can't be saved. Your beliefs are not in order. Okay. All right. Let's go to uh 1 John 2 verse 3. 1 John 2 verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Okay, so here it is. It's as clear as can be. We know that we have come to know Jesus if we have a lifestyle of obedience to Jesus. Do you see a desire in your heart to obey Jesus? Are you trying to obey the scriptures more and more and more and more? Do you have a heart to do what's right? Do you have a heart, again, to repent when you, when you haven't done right, when you've sinned and failed, right? And again, I'd have to take a vacation day to tell you the things I need to do better. But I am grieved. I am convicted. I have that evidence that Jesus is living in me because you take Jesus everywhere you go. So when we live in disobedience, we're convicted. But do you have a heart? First John 2, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. To know him means to know that you're saved because you desire to obey him. If you're claiming to be a Christian today and you're affirming all the beliefs, but you have no desire to obey Jesus, no desire to obey the Bible, it's almost certain you're not saved. I'm not saying this because I'm saying it. The scripture says it. Look at verse, uh, 1 John 2, 4. The next verse, 1 John 2, verse 4. The man who says, I know him. I know Jesus. I'm a Christian. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. Again, none of us do this perfect. He's talking about a lifestyle. The person who says, I'm a Christian, but has no interest in obeying Jesus whatsoever. You know, you're not a real Christian. You're not a genuine Christian, right? Verse 5, 1 John 2, 5. But if anyone obeys his word, again, how are you going to obey the Bible again if you don't have a desire for it? But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Verse six, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. If you're a genuine Christian today, you ought to have some desire to live for Jesus, a desire to please him, a desire to be like him, a desire to walk as Jesus did. I mean, Jesus is your Lord, your savior, your master and your king, and you ought to desire to be like him if you're a genuine Christian. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. All right. So let's go to, uh, let's go to prayer. Okay. Do you have a daily prayer life? Do you have personal prayer in your life? Someone who is truly saved should be crying out. There should be a desire in you as a child of your heavenly father to pray. Okay. Look at Romans uh, 8 verses 14 and 15. Romans 8, 14 and 15. Romans 8, 14, because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Do you have a desire to cry out in prayer and say, Father, Heavenly Father, a desire to pray, Lord Jesus, a desire to, to pray, right? If you're claiming to be a Christian, but you have no desire to pray, Okay, you have no desire to cultivate relationship in prayer or praise or worship or thanksgiving. Again, there's a great probability your salvation is not genuine. Now, again, what am I saying? I'm saying there ought to be some desire. 
Okay, and as you pray more, you, you may well be saved. You may be just a baby Christian. Obviously, the Bible tells us we ought to have, we ought to be praying all the time. The Bible says to, you know, to pray continually, to pray without ceasing, right? First Thessalonians 5, uh, you know, I think it's 16, 17, and 18, right? Bam. Matthew 5, 44. Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, do you have a lifestyle of praying for yourself? and praying for others. Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Again, a sign that you're a genuine Christian is you do have some sort of prayer life, okay? Golly, again, James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, right? So again, a, a, a life of prayer, a life of confession. These are evidences that you're genuinely saved. First Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So again, are you convicted of the sin that you, you're in? You know, the Lord, you know, the, the, the more we're walking intimately with Jesus, the more he hears our prayers. So again, an active prayer life is a sound evidence that you are a genuine Christian. And we'll, we'll end here, Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And again, the Pharisees would always, and they weren't saved. They didn't believe in Jesus, but they would do these, these tremendous public prayers. They would want to be seen by everyone in prayer. So if you're a person that prays so eloquently in public, but you have no private prayer life, no concern to pray in private, you, may, you want to examine yourself and test yourself to again see if you're a genuine Christian. A genuine Christian has a desire, some sort of desire for private prayer. Okay, so again... We're going to end here and the next teaching we're going to go through again. Um, you know, if the examination turns up and you're not certain, if you wouldn't say, man, I got all those things rocking. If you hear this and you say, yeah, I don't do very many of those things. Again, you want to you want to humble yourself before Jesus, throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, confess yourself as a hopeless, helpless, desperate sinner and call out to him in that desperation to save you. And if you call out with that heart, again, we use words to communicate our heart. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're saved by, again, believing in Jesus, trusting in him, relying in him, having your full confidence in him alone. Again, for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, deliverance from the wrath of God and eternal hell, and to bring you to heaven when you die. You're saved by trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus alone for all of these things. That's what it means to be saved, to be rescued from hell. Wow, Father, we just worship you. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. Father, I pray that everyone who hears this teaching or any of these teachings, Father, I pray that they would, they would know that they have eternal life. And if they're not sure, Father, I do pray that they would genuinely humble themselves, Lord Jesus. I ask you to soften their hearts and draw them unto you, Lord Jesus. I pray that they would be genuinely saved, that no one, Lord, would have to hear you say, away from me, I never knew you. Have mercy, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, have mercy. 
Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus.